0: And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for monday february 10th 2020 on today's episode of the show we're going to be discussing the 92nd annual academy awards my name is ben pearson i'm the senior writer at slashfilm.com and i am joined on today's episode by slash film weekend editor brad omen hey that's me and writer why train buoy
1: hey everyone
0: guys we're living in a parasite world can you believe
1: it I can't believe it. I mean, Parasite was about our world, but it's even better that now it's a best picture winner. That's amazing. I don't believe it, but I also I'm just I'm over the moon. I can't believe it happened.
0: Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, let's talk. We're gonna talk all about this entire episode. It's just gonna be about the Oscars. So if you didn't see last night's uh, ceremony, um. Maybe listen in and and you'll get a, a good rundown from us. Uh, hopefully, you had a chance to check that out because it was a big night. Um, I guess before we get into our categories and uh, you know further breaking down of how everything played out, what did you guys think about the show overall? Um, Brad, I know you
2: you tend to watch every year, right? Yeah, I watch. There's only one year I couldn't actually watch, and it was the year that everything went to hell with the La La Land Moonlight thing, and it was because I was on a a, a really long flight. <laughs> Oh man, what a year to miss! That is nuts. It, yeah, that, I was. I was like, "What the hell happened?" Um, but this show was okay. Um, I, I think that the biggest thing this year is just that it really felt like that the the Oscars didn't have a lot of flow um, or sense of how to keep the show going without a host this year. It really kind of bit them in the ass not having one. Um, despite the fact that they had some, you know, good presenters that made for some fun moments, and you know, it, it just felt kind of odd this year you know it, it it didn't you know there was stuff that came out of nowhere and you were like why are they doing this this year like what's the what's the point of this and so it was just kind of a, a perplexing overall ceremony uh what did you make of it hD
1: yeah, it felt very unfocused this year, uh, I think because of the lack of a host. It's funny because last year, the no host Oscar was such a big hit because it was so short and succinct. And this time, because there was no host, the the presenters went longer. There were, pe- there were celebrities who would come up to present other celebrities. And there were way too many montages. So I, I like a good montage myself, but it was just something that kept padding and padding the ceremony as it went on. And it felt like it could have um, done with uh, someone to rein back all of the actors and stars just kind of going a little long whenever they did did a bit. Uh,
0: Two things there that you mentioned that I wanted to bring up. So the the montages and the celebrities presenting other celebrities thing. What did you guys think about that? Like uh, Beanie Feldstein came out and introduced Mindy Kaling, who then introduced the award. Um, Part of me is like, I'm happy because I got to see Beanie Feldstein on stage and she's great and you know it was cool for the world to be able to you know see this person get a little bit of face time with this person but at the same time you know if you're looking for an efficient way to produce an awards ceremony that's not it so what did, I guess Brad what did you think about that
2: Yeah that was the one where I was like I was like why, why is this necessary like especially since they clearly had somebody Doing voiceover that was saying, you know, what was coming up next. So why can't you just have somebody, ladies and gentlemen, Mindy Kaling. It's way easier and it d- requires no pomp and circumstance whatsoever. Um, yeah, so that that was just an absolute, you know, silly thing for them to do. And then as far as the montages are concerned, I like the montages. I don't ever really care if they do a lot of montages. I, I think they're really fun to watch. They're usually edited together uh, in a really stylish way and they're, they're entertaining. I, I, I don't ever get tired of those montages.
0: I'm a big fan of montages uh pretty much across the board, but especially Oscar ones. I know this is like a point of contention for a lot of people. A lot of people really hate them, but I I'm right there with you, Brad. I've always enjoyed them. I've always thought they were some of the best parts of the show. This year they did this interesting thing where the um for the acting awards, they instead of just showing, you know, a, a couple seconds of each performer's performance as they were uh, announced, they did sort of they cut together like a, a montage video of all of the actors together that was much longer than you know the the normal you know whatever five or ten second clip that you normally see of each presenter or of each performer rather so um ht what did you think of that that was sort of a change that i don't think they've done recently anyway
1: yeah i actually like that i kind of uh i said earlier that the montage is a little long but i actually enjoyed the montages that they had this year because it felt sort of like the trendy thing these days on the internet of having like video essays or video um, sort of uh, compilations. And this one felt very much in that vein. It was kind of like the best of all these performances. And um, although as a result, we did end up seeing a lot of the the same uh, scenes from various movies. Like I think we saw the marriage story uh, fight like at least three times throughout the night. But uh, I really enjoyed those montages. I thought it was just kind of like, it felt like a a raising of the best of what we saw last year.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say what was kind of weird about how they presented those categories was that then afterwards they announced each actor. It's like, I feel like those clips work pretty well as like the telling you who is nominated. Right, right, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: That part just sort of felt like, we got to stick to this tradition because this is the way we've always done it. And it's sort of, yeah, it felt a little shoehorned in after the, a little unnecessary after those, uh, those video montages. But um, before we get into starting to count down the best moments, did you guys have any other uh, points to make about how going hostless sort of hurt the Oscars this year? Or did we touch on all of it already?
1: Um, no. I think that's it. Um, yeah, and no, I think it was just the lack of focus and the celebrities, introducing celebrities really just kind of made it feel really meandering at points.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into our best moments. So um, the show kicked off with Janelle Monet doing a, a performance that I thought I added this to the list here because I thought it was really cool. Like the uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood kind of uh, tie in. That movie didn't get much love as the, the night went on, but it was nice to see it represented there. And, and I guess right after it transitioned out of the, the theme song into, you know, whatever um, dance number and stuff that that happened right afterwards. I thought it was really cool that all the back da- background dancers were. Uh, representing movies that otherwise didn't really get mentioned during the show there were people dressed up like characters from us and queen and slim and uh midsommar like the the when general monet came out with that huge flower thing i was like this is pretty rad like midsommar is not really an oscar movie but the the um i guess the way that the producers found uh to sort of uh like incorporate that film, even just a a visual reference to it, into the actual ceremony. I thought was really cool. What did you guys think about that opening number?
1: Yeah, I love I mean, that opening. Oh, go ahead, please.
2: No, the the number was awesome. It was it was very lively and exciting, and she she was great. But I did think that it was kind of uh I don't know odd that they incorporated uh, several films that weren't nominated for any awards. Since we had they had you know people in the jumpsuits from Us and um uh, some like you just said. Uh, There was Dolomite is my name like fashions and uh, you said Queen and Slim too. all movies that went unnoticed. And I think it's not a coincidence that a lot of those movies are uh, feature talents of color that went uh, not nominated this year. And Janelle Monae, I I would imagine, probably had a hand in making sure that these movies had a presence at the Oscars, uh, maybe as a way for trying to make up for the fact that the Oscars were, again, lacking in a lot of, uh, diversity this year as far as performers and filmmakers were concerned yeah and i think we're gonna have a conversation in our worst moments about
0: uh the all the jokes and stuff about diversity so we'll we'll table that for right now um ht what did you think about the opening number
1: yeah i love this opening number it was a little bit it was tongue-in-cheek and a little wacky and i feel like it set the tone for uh the sort of chaos that would ensue throughout the rest of the oscar ceremony like what i was talking before about the oscar's being hostless kind of felt like it didn't really have a guiding hand to keep it focused. And it was a lot of it to his detriment. But sometimes we got some real weird mo- uh, standout moments like this Janelle Monet opening number that felt like, they're almost surreal in some parts. You're like, this is happening on TV, but I'm enjoying it. Is it terrible? Maybe. But also, is it great? Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just, like, I love Janelle Monae's uh, costume changes with her dressing up as Mr. Rogers and then putting on the May Queen crown and wearing a giant... Gender- Bunch of flowers i love the dolomite dancers dancing with the characters from midsummer and um the and then like the part where she t- tried to make the audience sing along was also incredibly awkward but hilarious and that very unique sort of oscar way so it was just something that I, I really enjoyed and i think that yeah she definitely made it at did this whole um uh performance as a way of calling out the lack of diversity and lack of people, color, in the nominees at one point in the song, she says come alive because the Oscars are so white and it felt very pointed in sort of, in sort of like, um, that, uh, um, mention.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, best moments. Uh, I, I just wrote down practically every moment that Bong Joon-ho was on screen. I just like, yes. I don't know about you guys, but I, um, I, I normally enjoy watching the Oscars, even if, uh, movies that I don't particularly care for end up winning. I, I still enjoy the, the theatricality of it all, the, um, the, the pomp and circumstance and the, you know, just, like, the whole ceremonious aspect of it. This was one of the few years that I can think of where I remember just getting, like, genuinely pumped up as the, as the, uh, uh broadcast went on because parasite kept winning stuff and it was just not i don't know i I guess maybe i listened to too many oscar podcasts and follow this stuff too closely i wonder if our listeners who are not um you know don't follow the guild awards and all that kind of stuff had the same feeling but just as parasite continued to rack up awards it just um i don't know my my excitement was uh was peaking. And um, <laughs> I was just like, I, I could not believe that it was happening because 1917 was such a huge favorite um, in a lot of the categories that uh, Bong Joon-ho and, and Parasite ended up winning. So um, what did you guys make of uh, Bong Joon-ho's um, <laughs> rise to power last night?
1: Yeah, when I was watching the Oscars, I had that same sort of feeling of that adrenaline building. Um, and I thought, this is what this must be what sports watching sports is like uh, because at the end when we, when I had an Oscars watch party at my apartment uh, when parasite won, and Bang Jun ho was just so excited, so happy to be on stage accepting with his uh, cast and crew, we all erupted into cheers and I just felt like my heart racing. I couldn't sleep at all. Um, but yeah, Bang Jun ho has just been a complete delight this entire award season. I feel like he's just been so earnest and yet, so funny and self-deprecating at every turn he um and that was like on full display at the oscars every time he was on stage he would make a joke like oh i can't wait to drink and finish this up but at the same time he would also during his best director speech for example he uh gave a he called out uh martin scorsese and how he said uh scorsese was such a big influence on him as a young filmmaker and he got the entire audience to give a standing ovation to scorsese which felt like a nice way of dulling the pain of the irishman not getting any awards yeah and then he, you know, he gave a shout out to Quentin Tarantino for sh- for um, spreading awareness of his films and Korean films in general, as well as his fellow uh, nominated directors Sam Mendes and Todd Phillips. And it was just every time he came on stage, he had something new and wonderful and lovely to say. And he, you know, he, and just like some of his candid moments too, like when he won the uh, best uh, screenplay. Original screenplay award you see him as this co-writer is take, giving a speech just like looking at his statuette and giggling and smiling and it's just so wonderful Bong Joon-ho is just a delight and we don't deserve him
2: yeah it was so pure uh Brad what did you think yeah I absolutely uh love this guy This like that speech he gave when he said best director was was wonderful uh you know he got a um, a standing ovation that was also, you know, for Martin Scorsese, and it just really felt like everyone was so excited for him. And it's, you know, it's, it's a historical night. You know, I mean, it's *Parasite* became the first, uh, you know, movie to win, uh, foreign film to win Best Picture, um, and he, um, it was, it was also the first win for um, Korean cinema too, right?
1: Yes, the first ever Oscars for South Korea
2: yeah and the, um you know, and so he also tied that uh, that record with Walt Disney for winning uh, four Oscars in a single night, which was done sixty seven years ago, um which is just it's crazy. It was just a big night in a number of ways for him and parasite, yeah, that was awesome,
0: okay, so moving on, our best moments, uh, a couple of musical performances stood out to us. I wrote down into the unknown. I thought it was really cool that um how the producers got all these other Elsas involved, people who who provided the voice for Elsa from Frozen 2 uh, in uh, different languages and stuff. I thought um, Idina Menzel was great as always. um, That song, even though maybe everybody didn't hit every single note, I imagine that song's pretty tough to sing, uh, especially in a live environment. I just thought it was a cool way, like the Oscars are this global celebration of all film, not just American film. And I thought that was a cool way to sort of incorporate a bunch of different performers into uh, this, you know, uh, whatever, Hollywood's biggest night kind of thing and, and put these people on the grand stage in front of however many millions of people watch this thing. Um, what did you guys think about that performance?
1: I love this performance. I thought that it was uh, kind of that, that uh, Hollywood glamour and glitz that you expect from and you crave from a the the Oscar night, and um, I I agree, it felt very much like the sort of Oscars making a gesture at the global appeal of the ceremony and of movies in general, and while other attempts at sort of raising awareness or like making um, gestures at diversity fell flat, I felt like this one really felt just so soaring and impactful and powerful, and it was just a fantastic performance and a great song, Uh, and Idina Menzel did hit all the notes, even if a few of the other file did not. But uh, yeah, (laughs) I I really enjoyed this performance.
0: Uh, Speaking of soaring, Brad, I think you really enjoyed Cynthia Revo's song, right?
2: Yeah, that was a very powerful performance, and she uh, was pitch perfect while singing it as well. Um, I I knew that she, you know, obviously was nominated for Best Original Song for uh, Harriet, but I don't think I had ever really seen her perform it before uh, this night, or at least not in a way that I had remembered, um, and it's yeah, it's clear that Cynthia Erivo is, is talented across the board in uh, a variety of ways. Um, it's a shame that she uh, didn't get to EGOT, but uh, I'm sure that she's talented enough that she'll get another opportunity for another Best Original Song Oscar to complete that ensemble of awards. Yeah, I knew she was a Broadway performer, and I think the only time I'd ever heard or seen her perform
0: was um, as the character she played in Bad Times at the, uh, at the El Royale a couple of years ago. Um, HT, what did you think about that performance?
1: Oh, I loved this performance. I remember her hearing the song on the, uh, the soundtrack for Harriet um, and not really being quite impressed. It felt like very much a... A solid gospel-style song, uh, but seeing it on stage and seeing Cynthia Erivo just pour her heart out in this song, I was definitely the most moved uh, by this performance out of all the best original song performances, and um, it really was a standout moment of the Oscars. So we have
0: one more moment here, and um, this one I think, HT, we were joking about before we started recording, that it could maybe go in the best moments category, but also in the worst, cat- uh, worst moments category, so it's maybe fitting that we use it as a transition uh, point here. So what did you think about the cats moment?
1: Yes. So James Corden and Rev Wilson came out to introduce the visual effects Oscar, I think. And of course they came out dressed as their characters from Cats, uh, furry garb and all. And uh, it was such a bizarre moment that... um, felt very weird and yet amazing at the same time because you just it's just um i think was like a distillation of how this whole oscar ceremony felt a little bit like because they didn't have a host that they kind of just threw a bunch of things at the wall and were like, let's just do this and let's do this. Let's have James Corden, Rebel Wilson, dress up as cats and introduce a visual effects award for which cats is not, um, nominated. (laughs) And then after, while they, um, after they present the award to the winner, they just stand like demurely to the side with their hands folded, still in their ridiculous outfits. And it's just a hilarious visual, um, image and, uh, just something that was yeah i think it was great and terrible at the same time
0: (laughs) i saw somebody tweet that uh like the the part you were talking about where they're sort of standing off to the side like hands folded almost in front of them and a bunch of people are are standing there you know holding oscars and wearing suits and tuxes and everything and looking very dapper i saw somebody tweet that it was as if Um, I forget the exact tweet, but maybe I can find it and put it in the show notes, but it was basically like when your custom character shows up in a video game (laughs) cutscene, and I thought that was really great, uh, a great encapsulation of what that moment felt like. Um, Brad, what did you think about that? I I thought it was funny that they kind of, like, dissed the movie that they were in, Uh, although I guess there's no nobody has anything to lose by dunking on cats, even the people who are in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I I love that they did that. It was clear that uh, the movie <laughs> was not going to receive much of a, a claim from anybody. Universal even famously pulled out of consideration for any of the awards because of the uh, intense backlash they received from uh, critics and people watching the movie and real cats, I assume, also re- sent in letters about it. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but yeah, it, w- it was very funny to see them, and honestly, if they would have done the movie in those cat costumes, it would have been infinitely better.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> Alright, let's get into our worst moments, and you guys have talked about this a little bit before, but all of the jokes about diversity... Um, well, HT, uh, take the reins. W- w- what happened here? W- was this the way to address this?
1: Yeah, not really, because uh, the Oscars and like the, the various presenters throughout the night attempted to sort of joke about the lack of diversity amongst the nominees. And it felt a lot of times just incredibly pandering and um, half-hearted half in a lot of ways, as if to sort of cover their asses for not nominating anyone. And that just seemed to me incredibly, it felt Felt uh, fell flat for a a lot of times for me, especially at the beginning when Steve Martin and Chris uh, Rock just yelled out "vaginas" at the same time. And then, you know, of course we have uh, Brie Larson, Sigourney Weaver, and Gal Gadot—all amazing actresses and great uh, women—come together and just kind of give this really uh, sappy speech about women, how all women are superheroes, and it just felt so much like pandering to me it felt like that moment in Avengers Endgame when all the women come together and like we're all here for I can't remember they're like we're here too or something and um <laughs> it just yeah it just uh it felt like the Oscars just trying to cover their asses for the lack of diversity in their nominees and doing it in a way that felt uh, too simplistic what did you think Brad
2: yeah I'm pretty much on the same page uh, I think Steve Martin and Chris Rock had some some funny bits here and there and they're they're great together but it did feel like kind of like, a, oh, it's OK if we poke fun at ourselves for, you know, ignoring everybody who's not a, uh, you know, a white filmmaker, or actor or actress. You know, it, it it sucks when you have so many incredible movies with people of color that, from the last year that deserve to get nominated. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's part of the reason why everyone was rooting for Parasite so much, too, because not only is it, you know, uh, essentially the best movie of the year, obviously, since it was named Best Picture, but because, you know, it showed, you know, diversity, and it wasn't more of the same stuff that the Oscars usually nominate every year. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. I I was a little bothered
0: by, uh, not the jokes, but everybody's reaction to the jokes. It seemed like the people in the crowd were, um, you know, laughing and applauding at all of those jokes, like, sort of knowing applause, like, yep, yeah, we... We screwed this up, but it's like you don't—you don't get to laugh and clap at this. You're the people who made this happen. You're the people who voted for this. Like, I don't know, just uh, do better across the board, maybe, instead yeah. of just like laughing about it. I don't know. Uh okay so the and oh, one more thing i wanted to mention like uh, i guess in direct contrast to the all women are superheroes moment that she was talking about i thought uh hilder at uh, i think i butchered that pronunciation but she's the composer who won best original score for her work on joker i thought her speech was really good like uh an example of like an organic girl power moment instead of one that was that seemed like generated as a way to um you know, deflect or sort of uh, lessen the blow um, when she was talking about how, you know, women out there, if if you hear music in your heart, like speak up and let your voices be heard because we need to hear them kind of thing. I thought that was really great. But um, yeah,
1: the moments that came organically and uh, earnestly always felt more true to me than some of the, the pandering jokes like the I was saying before. So
0: I, I wrote down the um, the female conductor in the worst moments here just because I thought that it, it felt to me a little bit like pandering. Like, they made this big deal about, oh, you know, in the 92 years that we've been doing the Academy Awards, this is the first time a woman has ever conducted uh, something, you know, here at the – you know, during the presentation or whatever. And that kind of just seemed like um, – I don't know, part of me thinks, like, okay, great, like, congratulations to you for waiting that long to do something so simple, because I think she only really conducted, like, that one montage of the Best Original score. uh, it was sort of like a medley of all of them, like, leading into, uh, handing out that trophy, but then, on the other hand, like, maybe for the younger people out there who, uh, who are more impressionable and who this might mean more and be more of an inspiring thing to see that. Um, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. HC, you, you seem to have uh, some thoughts about this too, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I actually, I had that original thought too when they introduced her with um, all of this lead up to it. and um, But then she actually uh, did her, uh, conducting and her, the performance of the, uh, the medley. And I was really impressed by it. I also just really loved her outfit. It looked like she was about to step out from Dune. And, um, I just, <laughs> I, I thought that it was a great performance, so I, um, I was okay with it, but yeah, it, uh, the lead up to it was a little bit, uh, on that side, but, um, I, I enjoyed her performance a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the songs in movies montage. Jacob Hall from the managing editor of Slash Film, basically, I think he implied that it was like one of the worst montages in Oscar history. Uh, Brad, what did you think about the. I know we are just talking in the beginning of this episode about how you really liked the montages. What did you think about this one? Uh,
2: yeah, I thought this montage was, was pretty cool. It wasn't one of their better ones, but I, I liked how uh, they essentially took the, the model of uh you know the the riff off from pitch perfect and connected movies through the lyrics of songs in them you know the one lyric from one song led into the other uh in a montage and you know at the end of the day it it led into a performance by eminem which i know some people were like where the hell did this come from but you know what it was still pretty cool and i wasn't upset about it (laughs) hc where the hell did that come from do you know
1: I still don't know, but I don't care because I love that song. I love that performance. Listen, all my friends and I grew up listening to the song when we weren't supposed to. And this is a song that sort of like felt very defining of our childhoods. And um, when this montage was happening and it Cut to the beginning scene uh, from Eight Mile, of, like right before he goes on stage. We were talking like he's not gonna, Eminem's not gonna come out and perform this song, is he? That would be crazy. And um, he did, and we all screamed, and it was great. I I thought that it was a, a performance that really livened up the audience, and I also think it offered one of those classic hilarious Oscar moments where the entire audience was confused, and um, you have great reaction shots that would be meme fodder for many uh, weeks to come. Um, I love this more for this performance. I, I don't care if it made no sense. I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, I'm no. sorry, Jacob. We're putting it in the worst moments category just because you said that you hated it. But I think all three of us really enjoyed this. I think, yeah, it was so random. And I think Eminem won best song at the Oscars for that performance in, what, 2003 or something? Because yeah. 8 Mile came out in 2002. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I could not explain to you why they chose this performer at this moment to come out, but it seemed like one of those things where um, the Oscars in its attempt to stay relevant uh, is losing viewership every year. I think actually Peter just shared a, uh, an article with us that said Oscar viewership hits an all time low with 26.3 or 23.6 million people watching, um, which is, yeah, like a historic low for the Oscars. And the ceremony and the producers always seem like they're trying to do something to desperately, you know, uh, hang on to relevance and keep people paying attention and watching. And I feel like. A surprise performance like this is one of those moments that probably lit up social media and had people talking, and is one of the, you know, in, in a in a uh, an awards ceremony where a lot of times the awards seemed um, predestined from the start, and it almost seems like you're you're just going through the motions and checking off some boxes and stuff like that. That's how the Oscars can seem sometimes. This seemed like a genuine surprise and a moment that that I sort of like, uh, you know, sat forward in my seat a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot.
1: I will say that one of the actual worst moments of the show followed soon after, and that was the rap recap by, uh, oh. The actor from Pitch Perfect, who I I'm, feel sorry that I can't remember his name, but um, it was unfortunate that he had to follow up Eminem, first of all, in a surprising and a really rousing performance. And uh, that it felt very much like what we were talking about before, about the uh, sort of uh, Oscars attempts to show that they are diverse. That look at this. They have a um, a rapper talking about the Oscars and recapping what ha- the movies, and it felt very strange and odd and um, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah Ad-
2: Ad- Adkarsh Ambedkar. Um, and yeah, he, he he is great. And like, but it was such a weird thing to like, we just watched this. Why are you wasting time recapping this? It's, it's, it's a waste of time. Stop it. Stop it immediately. <laughs> also, um, did anybody think that Lin-Manuel Miranda was going to come out and sing Lose Yourself instead of Eminem?
1: <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> they kept cutting to him. I don't know why he didn't perform because all they did was say, look, Lin-Manuel Miranda is here. And he also presented something. And then that was it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was odd, but I think all of us dug it. Um, One thing I particularly did not enjoy, and I wanted to get your I wanted to sort of take your temperature on this. Renee Zellweger's speech. What in God's name was that? Uh, I I feel like that is the perfect example of what not to do in an Oscar speech. Just ramble and have disparate points that barely connect to each other, and just. Uh, I don't know, it felt like it went on forever. I could not track what she was saying for the life of me. Uh, was it just me, or, or was that a really, really like awful speech that was probably the worst one of the night? No,
1: you I know. agree with you. Um, I also think that the both the both the best actor and best actress speeches. Walking Phoenix speech also was very rambling, but Walking Fe- Phoenix did bring it back a little bit because he ended it with a very touching tribute to his brother River Phoenix, uh, uh, reading a poem that is uh, that River Phoenix had written. Uh, but then Renal, Renee Zellweger uh, just came on after, and I felt like she was trying to go for something similar in speaking about something bigger than her and uh, trying to tie it to her performance in Judy, but it did not gel at all. And uh, it was a very odd, very rambling speech and not good.
2: Brad, what'd you think? Um, Yeah, Renee Zellweger's speech, it was just, it felt like it it was not clear what she was trying to say. She was obviously so touched and caught up in it all and you know, very uh, passionate about it and her performance. But yeah, it, it really felt like it was just, kind of incoherent and um i thought joaquin phoenix's speech although it was also a little bit rambling i appreciate that he at least had something else to say and he's been consistently uh using his acceptance speeches to make statements which is you know annoying for some who just want to turn off their brain and just want to watch artists be thankful for receiving awards um but i i appreciate you know that he is continuing to take a stand about things that he is passionate about and even though he didn't have you know a a speech that was concise and fully prepared. He knew what he wanted to say. And I think him doing it candidly makes people pay attention more. Because if you just go up there and you just read from a piece of paper, you kind of just tune out and you're just like, whatever. You know, it's when people read lists of names, they're thinking and all that. Uh, I appreciate that he spoke passionately and from the heart. And even if it was, uh, you know, a little bit rickety here and there, I thought that it was uh, a nice sentiment overall. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that... um... That is part of the reason why Renee Zellweger's speech was
0: was all the more baffling, is because, you know, she's essentially had this trophy in the bag for months since, like, the Telluride Film Festival or something. Just, it it seemed like this was one of those, all of the acting awards, actually, all four of them seemed like they were, you know, they've been locks for a long time. Like, these people have been winning awards in the lead-up to the Oscars. Um, Brad Pitt is a great example where, like, he has been, uh, you know, just dropping zingers left and right at all of the the different lead-up awards and it sort of all culminated with this great um speech that he that he gave at the Oscars where he incorporated the title of the movie into his own Hollywood story I thought that was really well done um but yeah like Renee Selwiger it's it's like you you knew you kind of you must have known this was coming and that's what happened I don't know it was just a a bit of a bummer for me it sort of zap the energy from the room. But um, let's talk about the big winners. Let's get the energy back up here. Um, and Bong Joon-ho, I mean, best original screenplay, best international feature film. I think we all assumed that international feature uh, international feature film for formerly the Foreign Language Award uh, was, like, in the bag for him. But I think even though... Um, you know, we were all hoping against hope. I think it was it like four awards like this uh, surpassed all of our expectations. So I was just so thrilled to see Parasite win. Um, we talked about that at the beginning. Uh, Laura Dern winning Best Supporting Actress was really great. Again, another one of those that seemed like preordained, but this was Laura Dern's first Oscar. And I think... Um, it's just really cool to see her, you know, she she's definitely having a year, that, or, or had a year in 2019, and um, I just thought it was a really nice culmination of that, and she's clearly, like, beloved by you know, her peers and everybody, and she's, you know, talk about meme material, H.T. Like, she, Laura Dern may, be, may have appeared in, like, more uh, memes than any other actor <laughs> in 2019, but... Um, I will
1: not, not be a meme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Toy Story 4, I, I mentioned um, as the, the best animated feature. I wrote that down as a big winner because uh, Klaus, the uh, Netflix Christmas movie, won seven Annie Awards, the Animation Awards, um, back in January. And it seemed like it was really like by, you know, nipping at the heels of Toy Story 4 and and maybe could have been a big contender for sort of an upset win. But it was nice to see. Um, I, I would have been happy with either of those winning. And, and Toy Story 4 is, you know, as we've all talked about when that movie came out last year, uh, surprisingly great and, and not at all the cash grab that we thought it was going to be. So I was happy to see that win. Um, Did you guys have any other big winners uh, over the course of the night? Any any, um, awards that stuck out to you in particular?
1: Uh, I want to give a shout out to Taika Waititi, who becomes the first Indigenous person to win the Best Adapted Screenplay Award and was just so touched and so... um, Uh, kind of unlike a lot of his past acceptance speeches where he kind of will be very jokey and uh, tongue-in-cheek but here he was just so uh, moved by everything that um, I I was just so happy for him and I know a lot I know I was actually gunning for Greta Gerwig to win for Little Woman but I think that this was just as worthy of a win I'm really happy that he uh, won that award.
0: Brad I assume you echo those sentiments being the big uh, Taika fan that you are?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, I loved seeing his speech because you could tell that he was nervous and he wasn't being quite as confident and cool as he normally is. I think he was genuinely humbled and, and very happy to re, to receive that award. Did you have any, Brad, any other um, uh, big winners that jumped out to you? Not particularly. The the Parasite thing was just a huge one for me. We, you know, we cheered when it happened. We were We got so excited since he, the... I had one Best Director and he got original screenplay and it felt like it had a real chance at winning. And so when it actually happened, you know, we just lost it. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, the Best Director one was was the maybe the biggest,
0: uh, no, Best Picture is still a, a big surprise too. But both of those really, like I thought Sam Mendes had that in, in the bag. And I'm, I'm yeah. you know, no disrespect to 1917. I, I really like that movie a lot, but it was just so cool that, that this became Parasite's Night. And I was telling my friend who is, uh, you know, I was watching the movie with. Like, if you walk down to Hollywood and Highland, which is like the big area where the Dolby Theater is, where the Oscars are, they have um, every year written out, like, ch- like carved into the walls, basically, like all the way up to, I don't know, twenty seventy or something, and they'll figure out a way to keep it going beyond that once we get there. But every single Best Picture winner is etched in right underneath the a given year. So like. <laughs> I was just saying, it's going to be so cool to walk through that area for you know all the tourists and however many thousands of people go through there every year to look up and see Green Book listed, and then be like, what the hell? And then right below that, see Parasite, and it's almost like an immediate course correct, like uh, like the the universe is uh, is trying to fix itself in real time. So um... hopefully we won't get
1: another piece of whiplash next year so yeah yeah, but um yeah i i really i was so excited about that best director win too because that felt like the turning point of the night when we were all like wow is parasite going to win best picture and it did and it was amazing
0: (laughs) yeah i'm still i i still can't believe it really i'm i'm like on a high still i hope this lasts for a few days because uh it's today's been pretty great like waking up and being like movies they're awesome So, all right, let's go to our big losers of the night real quick. Um, I wrote Netflix down because The Irishman, Klaus, and The Two Popes were completely shut out, uh, which is sort of shocking, especially for The Irishman, a a movie that, you know, has talk about pedigree. Like, there, there may be no other movie... Uh, maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something um, that had uh, that level of pedigree over the year and uh, for that movie to be completely shut out was sort of a big deal and and Marriage Story too only had one win and that went to uh, Laura Dern for Best Supporting Actress so Um, it seemed like as soon as that movie came out, there was uh, a bit of a groundswell and there was a lot of talk about maybe Scarlett Johansson can win for Best Actress, maybe Adam Driver might win for Best Actor, Um, but it seemed like everything just sort of like settled into place and those were just, uh, I guess, yeah, early rumblings that never really went anywhere, but um, considering how much of a splash Netflix made at the Oscars last year with Roma being such a big deal and, and, you know, seeming to be a a front runner, or at least in the conversation for Best Picture. Um, It's sort of a a big um, 180 for them at the Oscars this year. So uh, did you guys have any uh, big losers that you wanted to mention? I wrote down a few others here, but.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say The Irishman because it it came in with I think 10 nominations, nine nominations, and it got no wins at all. And that that's a not the first time that Scorsese came in with a large amount of nominations to the Oscars um, and got no wins. I think the last time was Gangs of New York, and um, it really is a big shame. I think th- I thought especially that um, it at least would have gotten something for editing, like Thelma Shoemaker Schoenma- uh, definitely deserved that. Um, but it was just uh, <laughs> incredible that the the movies that were getting lauded are oh so much to uh, Martin Scorsese, and the Irishman basically came away with nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I put Avengers Endgame and The Lion King for visual effects. Like, again, I really like 1917, but... Come on, best visual effects for 1970. I just don't think that makes any sense. Like Avengers Endgame, those guys. I don't. I don't know if any Marvel movie has ever won best visual effects, and The Lion King is like that movie is visual effects, and I, I wonder if part of the reason that uh, those movies didn't win was maybe Avengers Endgame had like the superhero thing going against it. Um, you know. Uh, as much as the Oscars has uh, or I'm sorry as much as the academy has uh, made attempts to diversify its its ranks and stuff it's still a predominantly older white guy you know voting base voting majority there um and the Lion King I wonder if the, if the uh you know the technicians and people like that who are in the academy are a little scared of that movie and maybe what it represents and the idea that um if a movie can be made completely with visual effects like that and and look as good as it does uh maybe there's a chance that, you know, people's jobs are gonna start going away and stuff like that. So I I wonder if it was sort of like a um a little bit of a recoil from what uh from what the Lion King might mean as to why a movie like nineteen seventeen, which I'm sure it just has, like, set extensions and a few obvious uh, visual effects things here and there, but does not strike me as, like, the best visual effects of 2019 by far. Uh, maybe that's part of the reason why that one ended up taking home the trophy, but...
1: Apparently, a superhero film hasn't won a visual effects Oscar since Spider-Man 2 in
0: 2005. Wow. Man, that's, uh... That's surprising. I wonder. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that, Brad? Like, do you think I'm onto something there with with Endgame? Like, people just don't like the superhero movies, or uh, what? Did you, or did you happen to think that 1917 was actually deserving of that trophy?
2: You know, part of me thinks that maybe what it is is that people are more impressed when you can, when people see visual effects used to create things that. Are realistic or seem tangible in the real world, mm. as opposed to things that are more fantastical. And even though amazing effects are done to bring a character like Thanos to life and the various alien armies and things like that, that you know that it's not real. And so maybe it doesn't look as good as you think it should. Um, because if you look back through the winners, you know even some of the more uh, sci-fi or um, entries are movies that present it in a very realistic fashion. Movies like Blade Runner 2049 and uh, Ex Machina and, you know, things like that. So I wonder if there's this disconnect where people see visual effects and they just they don't have a way to understand, wow, that looks amazing for a character that is completely created out of a performance and, you know, painted over with digital effects using motion capture and all these incredible layers, you know, and especially when it comes to the, the big battle sequences in Avengers Endgame. Um, and, you know, it's and it's frustrating because you look back and Marvel has been nominated pretty much uh, almost every year since the original Iron Man. And they've yet to come away with a visual effects Oscar, which is uh, pretty crazy to me. Yeah, so, I think, yeah. I think that reality mentality also
0: applies to talking lions, too, right? Yeah,
2: probably, you know, because <laughs> that, that was if, if anything, you know, that that those animals looked legit real, which, you know, was a detriment to the movie in the end. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that's probably what the, the disconnect is
1: yeah I think it it uh, goes to show that the voting body large voting body for the academy are much older uh male audiences who don't really go to see these movies and don't really have an appreciation for the work and the technical uh, craft that goes into those.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, little Women I put down as a big loser because it, yes. it won costume design, but I think all of us, especially the three of us on this episode, really, really love that movie, and I think all of us wish that it could have gotten a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, pour one out for Little Women.
1: I just want to say that it's typical that the the sort of – Uh, signature female-led, female-directed movie of this year, got its only Oscar in costume design, the category typically designated for women, and kind of like, oh, you can have this one, because, well, of course women uh, in a movie for women will have great costume design. And um, I just, I'm a little, I'm still a little upset about the uh, adapted screenplay, uh snub despite uh, me being happy for taika because uh in particular the uh scene that they use was the scene in which uh amy and joe speak about um what how writing things uh will make them important and and designate importance to them and it really mm-hmm. goes with the entire theme of the movie about how women really aren't allowed into the club of geniuses and uh it just it feels so much like the Oscars missed that point, And we're just like, oh yeah, ladies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was a bit of a bummer. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood, I also wrote down as a, as a big loser, even though it won two Oscars, one for Brad Pitt and one for production design. It still felt like a bit of a loser to me because the, you know, it, it, I guess right there next to the Irishman, this movie felt like the one that was generated, uh, almost like created in a lab to win Oscars. Like it's about, Old Hollywood, uh, the Academy loves that shit. You know, you've got all these great movie stars in iconic roles. Um, you know, the, the Tarantino, who's won twice for screenplay already, uh, delivered another great one there. So I know HT, you're not like a huge fan of that movie, but I just feel like, you know, it, taking a step back and looking at um, how that thing came together, and and uh, it just, it should, on paper, check a lot of boxes for Academy members, and the fact that it only won those two Oscars feels like. Um, sort of a a missed opportunity for that film. But um, okay, let's move on as we wrap up here into who should host next year or should there be a host next year? You guys were talking about how last year's Oscars seemed like they went pretty well going without a host. This year, maybe not quite as much because it wasn't quite as focused. Um, Brad, do you have any thoughts about who should host next year or, or what you think the host situation should be next year?
2: Well, you know, I think we saw some potentially good options for who could host uh, in the presentations of the awards themselves. Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph had a hilarious bit uh, for a couple of the awards. Uh, they handed out production design and costume design, and they were great on stage together, as they as they always are. Um, Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus were hilarious in their presentation for cinematography and editing, um, showing that they, they – misunderstand completely what those roles are on on the set in a very funny way um and like we talked about earlier chris rock and steve martin were great too even if the material they had wasn't the best it was interesting seeing these two comedians who come from complete polar opposite ends of comedy coming together and really kind of showing how great they are uh you know and why they're considered to be you know sort of the best uh of the best and so, you know, I think getting any number of those duos together to host uh, the Oscars would be great, or even just do those kinds of things more often throughout the show, so the show feels like it has a little bit more energy and try and create some kind of flow to it instead of, you know, what what did feel like a mess. I think the the hosting duo thing is interesting because it it doesn't it sort of
0: takes the target off of the back of one particular person. Like, um, if there were two people. I feel like, um, some of the responsibility is, uh, is, um, split, I guess. Like the, if there were two people, I feel like the internet would not work as hard to go back through the tweets of both people and try to find something for them to be canceled for, if that makes any sense. Um, HG, what did you make of, uh, of these hosting duos and, and who did you think maybe would make a good host for next year if, if you think there should be one?
1: Yeah, despite my rolling my eyes at the uh, Steve Martin and Chris Rock joke about diversity, I thought that they were really great together. I always liked seeing Steve Martin. I don't know where he's been lately, but it was just, like, nice to see him again. Uh, Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig were hilarious. And uh, no matter how long they did their bit, I was just really just uh, enjoyed every moment that they had on screen. And then uh, Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus were also great. Um, I'd be fine with a duo, although I will say that it doesn't always... um, shield against criticism because we did see the anne hathaway james franco debacle and uh, how she ended up shouldering, shouldering a lot of that criticism while james franco just kind of i don't know got high backstage or something <laughs> yeah yeah that's true so it has to be two who definitely are able to uh play off with each other and uh work together well and we saw with these um Uh, pairings that they did I would also be okay with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler again um not for they I don't think they've hosted the Oscars before that but they did the Golden Globes correct yeah and they're I think
0: they they announced that they're going to be hosting next year's Golden Globes again Mm -hmm. so yeah um,
2: honestly I I feel like the biggest problem they have is like I guarantee you they probably ask a lot of these people and they just don't want the job because of how many people have had to deal with so much grief you know from the viewing public and from scrutiny and just the backlash, if you don't do it well enough, you know, you get railed on the next day by all the, the trades and blogs and everything. Mm-hmm. It's It really, no, no matter, even if you do a decent job, it's still a mostly thankless job. And I'm sure they're paid handsomely for it, but it also requires a f- decent amount of prep, you know, of working with uh, the writers and rehearsal if you're doing any, you know, staged bits and just making sure it goes off with a hitch and it's a live award ceremony. Um, so I, if anything, uh, probably a lot of the best talent that is, you know, prepared and has the skills to do it well, just doesn't have the time or desire to spend that much, you know, of their you know, daily uh, time doing it. Well, I think you know what this means, Brad. Next year, we just have to
0: have James Corden and Rebel Wilson in full <laughs> cat regalia host the Oscars as a pair. So <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't be mad about
1: it. That would might be amazing. <laughs>
0: All right. So let's uh, let's go to our final question of this episode. And it's a question I want to uh, pose to both of you. What does Parasites win mean for the future of the Oscars, if anything? Do you think this uh, symbolizes a shift in what we can expect from the Oscars moving forward? Um, HT, let's start with you.
1: God, I hope so. Um, Parasite feels like such a radical choice for the Academy because, like we've talked about in past episodes, they are still sort of a um, stodgy and um, older... institution that don't generally go with like the movies of the moment they generally go with movies that tend to check off a lot of boxes in terms of movies that appeal to the academy and and are like the typical oscar movie and parasite just bucks every single um, expectation in that regard Um, and That doesn't even go to the fact that it's the first foreign language film to win a best picture at the oscars i think it's breaking tons of barriers with um its wins and with the the historic four wins that bong jun ho got um so it's just um it i hope that it means that we're going to be getting more um acceptance and more support for foreign language films in hollywood and less of hollywood trying to take something that works in a foreign language or was a really successful foreign language film and trying to remake it and re re uh redo that success and um it just feels like the oscars aren't local anymore as uh as bong jun ho uh, sort of uh, remarked earlier. And, um, I, I, think that it could mean that we're going for, uh, a greater, um, less more progressive, uh, future for the Oscars. But again, we've kind of seen a very big back and forth with the best picture winners. We had Moonlight and then, and Shape of Water. And then immediately we had, uh, Green Book, which felt like two steps back after the steps forward of those two previous films, and I'm hoping that we'll continue stepping forward and not have to deal with sort of um, self-congratulatory self-congratu- uh, films like uh, Green Book or safe films like, yeah. Um, like them.
0: Yeah. Um, Brad, what about you? Do, do you have any thoughts about on Parasite and, and the future of the Oscars? Do you think this represents a, a big shift
2: for them? Uh, you know, like H. T. said, I hope so. She she really put it quite succinctly and said a lot of the things that I was thinking. And one thing that I would like to see even more of, and this was something that I was talking about with some friends of mine last night who were watching the Oscars with uh, me and my girlfriend, is that it would be nice to see the Academy sort of start to lean into rewarding not just the films and the and the filmmaker behind. Uh, foreign language films that end up getting attention at the Oscars, but also the performers, because the cast of Parasite was incredible in that movie. They ended up walking away with the uh, the SAG award this year, and I think that they all deserve to be nominated this year in categories. But a lot of times, the performers in uh, foreign films that get Oscars attention don't get included, and it's in a way it's understandable because a lot of countries. That hand out movie awards do often tend to lean more towards their own country in awarding movies. Uh, It's why you know this is the first time *Parasite* uh, is the is the first foreign language film to win Best Picture, and uh, you know even the Baftas do it. They often reward British films more often than American films. Uh, So it's um it's it's a difficult line to walk in that way. But I just I do think I, I hope that we start to see you know a lot more of these films recognized by the Oscars. Uh, and hopefully audiences will embrace them too, even though it's been proven that reading subtitles can be difficult. <laughs> well said. Well
0: said. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of this very long edition of Slash Film Daily. Thank you guys for talking with me about the Oscars. I'm still riding that high. Uh, hopefully all of our listeners are still stoked about uh, Parasite. And, and that movie's win. I'm so excited for Bong Joon-ho. I'm so excited to see what he does next. Uh, and we, I'll, I'll actually link... In the show notes uh, to a bunch of Oscar articles that we have, and uh, and a Bong Joon Ho article about what he might be working on at this very moment. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But um, thank you all for listening. If you want to find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show, go to slashfilm.com. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Also, don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes as well. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.